I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. It's the news I have been promising and I can finally share it with you. And it almost feels so odd to be sharing this news during this time of the world, but it's like such an incredible time to be the you that you want to be. And so I am stoked to finally tell you guys that I have empowered a motivational journal for women coming out June. And guys, let me tell you, it is full of thought-provoking prompts that encourage and empower you to dig deep and cultivate positive change. It's motivational. It's got tons of inspirational quotes and plenty of pages to write and a gorgeous design with illustrations. And I am so proud of it. It totally puts into practice everything uh, that I did to see the dream of being traditionally published with an international book to fruition. And I know uh, that so many of these prompts have had wild success with my clients, and I'm so excited to finally share this with you. And you can pre-order it today. Ah, I can't believe it's like really happening. And I put the link in the show notes. Check it out. John, so happy to have you on the BU Find Happy podcast today. Many thanks, uh, Michaela. Now, are you in Italy? Is that what I... I'm, I'm, I'm currently uh, in the Netherlands, in, uh, in Europe. In the Netherlands. Okay, yeah. I, no- I noticed um, from your profile that you do quite a bit of travel and you've lived quite a bit of places. So um, it didn't surprise me when I saw Monaco, but it sounds like it's the Netherlands. Uh, no, no, today I'm in the Netherlands, yeah. Wow. Um, can you, could you just give the listeners a little bit of your backstory? Cause there's so much you've done. What I think you've written what 10 books now. Yeah. 10 books. Uh, number 11 is coming out in, uh, I think in one month. Wow. Uh, yes. Just to summarize very quickly, I write books about, uh, personal development, uh, based on history It's a, it's a particular approach, uh, that combines uh, a lot of historical research uh, going through hundreds of uh, biographies of people in different centuries, different professions, uh, different countries, uh, trying to uh, to find patterns of behavior that uh, have proven very successful in um, in history, and to try to draw lessons that we can use today in the 21st century. The books are very factual, uh, very practical, and what I try to do is um, is to extract uh, lessons that uh, anybody can put into practice. Uh, I'm very skeptical about. I mean, we can discuss this later. I'm very skeptical about um, uh, positive thinking and uh, the law of attraction and these these uh, ideas that uh, today are so prevalent, uh, dominant in uh, Western culture. I think for most people. Um, they are not going to work. They work for some people. If you are, if you have this personality that uh, is very open, very enthusiastic uh, by nature, uh, it's very easy to, to be enthusiastic, to be positive. Uh, for most people, it's very difficult to sustain um, a positive attitude in the long term. It consumes a lot of energy. And what I try to do in my books 
is to present a rational approach, a very much a factual, practical approach uh, for things you can do uh, that do not require a lot of uh, psychological investment. Because if you consume your energies, the little energies that uh, when people are going through a crisis and they are in panic and they are worried, they are sick, uh, they don't have a lot of energy. And I think that they should not spend their energy trying to be uh, artificially cheerful. It is much better to try to find uh, practical solutions. I like that. You know, we've had we've had people on the podcast that that are all about um, synchronicity and the law of attraction. We've had people on the podcast that say that's not going to get you you know farther than a throw, than a stone's throw. So I, I love that we're going to chat today a little bit about about these different concepts. And one of the things that you say is that um, you're skeptical about going back to nature as a recipe for happiness. Can you share a little bit about what you mean by that and what that's about? Yeah, um, today is one of the the stories and the uh, the patterns uh, you listen to in the media almost constantly. And it's like, oh, you have to to go to become um, uh, more close to nature. Uh, you have to uh, to uh, uh, simplify your life. You have to go and live in a village. And to grow your own uh, vegetables and this kind of stuff. And maybe, I don't know, even you produce your own shoes and your own clothes. And this idea of becoming uh, more natural in the sense of um, of uh, g- getting back to, to very basic technology and giving up uh, urban life, uh, industry, uh, high productivity technology, you hear it very, very often. And today we have this, this hysteria about uh, the, the uh, weather, the climate change. Uh, people are uh, terrified that uh, the world is going to end in, I don't know, in 10 years, whatever. I mean, this is ma- massively exaggerated. And uh, I'm very skeptical about this uh, idea of going back to nature because you have to realize that if you apply these ideas, uh, most people are going to starve. I mean, they don't realize that uh, going back to nature and giving up technology means uh, working uh, 14 hours a day, uh, having no electricity, uh, having to deal with uh, mosquitoes, spiders, snakes, this kind of stuff. And this is what nature means for most people. So you have to be um, realistic enough uh, to separate uh, the idea of having a nice holiday. If you take a holiday for a couple of weeks, in the countryside is very good, and you go to the mountains, it's very healthy. But one should not confuse a holiday with a lifestyle. And for most people, it's absolutely impractical uh, to take this approach, especially if you have uh, um, high qualifications and you are a, a good uh, marketer or a good uh, engineer or a good uh, whatever. Uh, it's very unlikely you can make a living uh, by living in an isolated uh, village somewhere and the lifestyle you will encounter there will be so boring and so uh, monotone that for most people it's not a solution. And this is why in this book, especially with a book about disruptions, I think that uh, people should try to improve uh, their resistance to stress, their resilience, uh, by improving their lives where they live, not by, by going to an ideal uh, uh, Middle Ages uh, existence in a countryside in some village, because this is not going to work. It's a pure fantasy. Yeah, you know, I live in, 
in the Middle Ages. I live in a rural community in the nature and all of this and that. But even I can't get away from modern technology. I mean, this is how the world is now. And I, and I do agree with you to a certain extent that um, incorporate it as much as you can, um, but recognize that we're not going to devolve. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Humans are going to continue to evolve. And so um, how do you cope? And I love your term, and I use it often myself, have some resiliency with how life is now. I like that, and that's very true. Why why do you think that people learn more from success than they do from failure? This is a big thing that you talk about. I'm really curious about that. Well, because we tend to remember uh, positive stories um, uh, forever, and we like to tell our friends, uh, when we, I mean, we get even a minimum success. I mean, imagine that someone invests, uh, I don't know, $10,000 in the stock market and then he makes uh, 10%. I'm sure he's going to tell his friends for the next 20 years. But, uh, people tend to hide, uh, their mistakes. They tend to, um, to forget even themselves because it's unpleasant. Uh, when you make a mistake, when you, uh, screw up, when you just, uh, don't make enough research and then, uh, you just, uh, fail. Uh, we try to hide this kind of stuff. And, and uh, my books, I, I cover hundreds of biographies of different uh, people, different centuries. I, I devote as much uh, attention to success as to failure because it's, it's important to understand the, the beneficial uh, patterns of behavior. And it's also to understand, uh, it's very important to understand that uh, other uh, patterns uh, deal uh, with uh, human nature, with panic, with um, with uh, uh, pride, and you have to try to avoid those. Uh, it's not so uh, pleasant sometimes to talk about uh, a failure. And in this latest book, I, I deal with a lot of uh, stories of very intelligent people and very sophisticated people who, who destroy their lives uh, because uh, they get into patterns of behavior that are very dangerous. So people fail because they're stuck in patterns that are dangerous. Yeah, I can uh, give you an example. Um, the, the idea for the book, uh, I got the idea about three years ago. I was reading the biography of a uh, Russian uh, industrialist. Uh, his name is Savin Montov. Uh, he was a great um, uh, entrepreneur. Uh, he built uh, railroads in the 19th century before the uh, Russian Revolution, before the communists. Uh, he was very successful. He could speak several languages. Uh, he studied in, in France. Um, he was uh, uh, extremely bright. He made a fortune. When he was in his 40s, uh, he was a celebrity. Uh, he had a huge art collection. I mean, really a very uh, sophisticated uh, person. He was a celebrity in Russia. And this person I find very intriguing because within a few years, within a few years, uh, he destroyed uh, his life completely. Uh, he started um, a, a steel uh, manufacturing company because he wanted to expand his uh, railroad empire. He wanted to make uh, steel. Uh, he started to lose a lot of money because he assumed that uh, the fact that he, he could uh, run a, a railroad, which is basically a service business, uh, he was qualified to do anything. And he started to do this uh, steel manufacturing. It was a disaster. He started to lose money. And instead of giving up and saying, okay, I, I really made a mistake. I should not have uh, started this uh, business I know nothing about. He used money from the railroad uh, to pay for the losses in the steel manufacturing. Uh, his shareholders became very angry when they found out. 
and they sue him. Uh, he was prosecuted uh, for embezzlement, and eventually he didn't go to jail, but he lost everything. He lost his uh, businesses, he lost his houses, his art collection, and for the last uh, 13 years of his life, uh, he lived in total misery, total, he was ostracized by his friends, and nobody wanted to talk to him. It was a, a, a very sad story. And you see the pattern, this is a historical pattern. Uh, it shows uh, the worst possible way uh, to deal with disruptions. And this is one of the main lessons from the, from the latest book. Uh, if you want to become very resilient and you want to be able to deal with problems, with adversity, uh, with setbacks, uh, you have to do exactly the opposite uh, the, as um, Amount of did. What Amount of did was to improvise. He started uh, a new business. He knew nothing about uh, steel manufacturing. He made assumptions that were completely wrong. And he didn't have the, um, the humility to say, I made a mistake. I should go back to what I know. And this is the key uh, to being very effective in times of disruption. You just realize that uh, there are things you don't know, there are things you know, and you go back to the, to the basics, to the area you know, to the profession you know, to the skills you have, to the friends you have for 20 years, to the, to the territory you know, and then you, you, you get back in your feet, on your feet very quickly. And within a few years, you will be doing very well. If you start to improvise, as many people do, and you see the stories constantly in the newspapers, a uh, basketball player who loses all his savings in some stupid uh, restaurant investment, or some uh, Hollywood movie star who invests in, I don't know, some mine, some gold mine, and he loses all his uh, life's uh, savings. You see this pattern constantly. Uh, when people improvise, when people start to do something they know nothing about, and they don't have uh, sufficient uh, humility to recognize that um, they have to go back to what they know, then they become very vulnerable. And one of the, the main uh, lessons from, the, from this uh, book is that uh, if you avoid uh, improvisation, uh, you go back to, uh, to areas and skills you know very well, uh, you will be very strong in times of crisis. So you talk a little bit about factors that are making people particularly vulnerable today. Would this would this be one of them, like a fear of going back to like of of their pride getting in the way of of making amends or, or you know, giving up, quote unquote, something like that? This is one of the, the patterns. There, there are different patterns. I go through them in different chapters of the book. Um, another pattern that uh, today is very prevalent um, is the idea of uh, continuity. Uh, this is something that is very typical of the uh, 21st century. Uh, we get uh, through education and through the media and through um, uh, our environment, we get this false idea that uh, history and uh, time is a continuum. And every day and every year is going to be a little better. And the company uh, you work for is going to grow next year by 6%. And you get a better position, you get a better salary, your business is going to grow, your health is going to continue uh, in a very good uh, shape, and then uh, you're going to become, and, and everything's going to be okay. And we get this, this, uh, this uh, delusion of continuity, which is very dangerous. And this is why, why you see uh, people uh, that uh, cannot fulfill their expectations because they have this fantasy of uh, continuity. Uh, they immediately become very angry, and this is why you see uh, so many people, uh, you see so much violence today in, in society. People become 
extremely angry when they don't uh, fulfill their their expectations, their delusions most of the time, or they go the other way and they become very depressed, uh, very anxious. And this is why you have only in the U.S. you have uh, 50 million people taking uh, medication against uh, stress and anxiety. So these reactions are very, very much irrational. Um, what I try to do in the book is to try to show the, the underlying philosophy. And this is one of the factors that uh, makes uh, people very vulnerable in the 21st century. We have this fantasy of continuity. Uh, history shows exactly the opposite. If you want to be very strong and very resilient, uh, you have to have sufficient uh, margins uh, not only financial margins, but sufficient margins in your life, in your health, in your relationships, sufficient margins built in your system so that uh, when you hit uh, the next uh, bump on the road, and this will happen uh, inevitably, uh, you will have sufficient margins in your life to be able to, um, uh, to keep your act together. Uh, if you don't have that, you will become extremely vulnerable. Uh, this is why you see so many people are depressed, they are anxious, they are, they are angry. And this is not a solution. I think it's very important to build in your life, in your, in your areas of, um, of activity, to build sufficient margins uh, so that uh, you will continue to do very well, even if the, the, your life will not be uh, always uh, getting better. Because for a while, uh, you might hit uh, a crisis, a professional crisis, uh, health problems, uh, you might go bankrupt, you might lose your business. It's very important that you have these, uh, these margins built in your life uh, to go through difficult periods. So what steps can people take to protect themselves from unforeseen events and threats and things like that? Yeah, different, there are different uh, strategies I present in the book. Uh, we can go uh, through a few of them. Um, one of the most important uh, factors that uh, you see in history repeatedly, uh, people who are doing very well, for example, in the, in the book, I analyze the, the life of uh, Robert Stephenson, who was uh, uh, an investor in the 19th century. He invested uh, in different companies, mainly on railroads, but he invested in, in different areas. And he developed uh, systems uh, for dealing with risk uh, because I mean, he, what he was doing was actually quite uh, uh, risky. Uh, he was starting, uh, he was raising money for different companies. He had to get uh, concessions uh, to build uh, uh, different in different areas. So it was very risky. And he went bankrupt uh, when he was in his uh, 30s, very close to bankrupt. He was at the, uh, almost uh, losing everything a couple of times. And he almost got uh, a fatal uh, nervous breakdown. And he learned the lesson. And what he did systematically for the next um, uh, 40 years of his life, uh, sorry, the next 30 years of his life, uh, he became uh, extremely uh, organized and he diversified his risk uh, to an extent that uh, it's very difficult to imagine someone like that. But even in the 19th century, uh, he was separating all his risks systematically. He would separate his investments. He would create a different company for each um, uh, um, 
enter enterprise, uh, even his life, uh, uh, his lifestyle uh, through the day, uh, he used to break it down into uh, segments uh, to make sure that uh, he could manage all his different businesses at a certain time every day without getting uh, nervous, without getting disrupted. And the strategy of uh, breaking down risk and diversifying, uh, you should apply to every area of your life. You should diversify uh, your skills. Uh, you should diversify your friendships. Uh, if possible, try to learn a second language because it's a, it's a very easy way of diversification, very inexpensive. I think uh, one of the uh, um, obstacles, I think psychological obstacles, that prevents uh, people from learning a second language because they think it's very expensive and very difficult. But it's not true. It's just uh, a question of uh, spending every day uh, 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, for Americans, it's extremely easy uh, to learn Spanish. There is just a psychological barrier. And this is one of the ways uh, to ensure that uh, you will have access to opportunities that for many other people will become uh, invisible. Because if you don't speak the language and you're not able to get the information, uh, you will lose uh, access to many opportunities. So the message is that uh, one of the best, very best strategies for um, uh, preventing risk and staying uh, very strong uh, in times of uh, danger, in times of uh, adversity, is to diversify everything, every aspect, every area of activity in your life, uh, because you will become extremely strong, almost, almost undistractable. So you talk about living rationally. Is that is that basically just knowing things are going to happen and and prepare yourself with how to deal with it? Well, uh, I call the the uh, the thread of uh, ideas that go through my books. I call it rational living. Because what I try to do is to extract uh, ideas and strategies that uh, are based on logic. They are based on, on uh, reason. But uh, the goal of learning from history and to going through the stories and try to, to, uh, uh, to familiarize yourself with patterns of behavior, uh, the goal is not to become a robot and say, okay, I'm perfectly rational and I never make mistakes. This is completely unrealistic. Uh, the goal is to become maybe 1%, 2%, 3% uh, more rational because you are aware of many, uh, uh, many stories, many patterns of behavior, uh, many risks that for most people uh, remain invisible. But if you are familiar with all these stories and all these principles, uh, the next time you have to make a decision, especially if you are uh, uh, under pressure because you are in a crisis and you have to make a quick decision, if you have this background of knowledge and you're familiar with these stories, uh, you will make better decisions. And this is why I say that uh, you just want to become a little bit more rational, 1%, 2%, 3%. It will make a huge difference in the long term, uh, but uh, the, the best uh, teacher is history. I don't think that you can learn all these ideas and all these patterns just by uh, speculating or by, by reading abstractions. You have to see the stories. You have to see... Uh, why people make these kind of mistakes, because then uh, you internalize the idea and you will never forget the principle because you know the story. That makes sense. That makes sense. So so one of the things you talk about in your book is um, you warn against the prophets of doom. But, you know, pessimism just seems to be kind of rampant and justified. Can you explain what you mean by that? 
Yeah, the, um, the problem is that uh, uh, we should not go um, in a direction that uh, you lose perspective and you lose uh, touch with reality. And it's very easy to do that because uh, when we're watching uh, TV or we're listening to the media, um, it is so compelling uh, to listen to exaggerated stories. Now, today, as we are talking, we have this story of the virus, this coronavirus that is complete hysteria, and then people are saying, oh, my God, we're going to die, and this kind of stuff. I mean, this story, I think, will disappear in a few weeks, and it will be forgotten, like all the previous uh, viruses we had in the previous years. It's just uh, exaggeration. And the only way to keep uh, a balanced uh, uh, head and to keep cool when you are going through this uh, crisis and these threats is to look into history to see what has happened before and to try to become a bit more rational. Because um, uh, there is no way that uh, you can stay away easily from the information because it's everywhere. Uh, you turn on the radio, you watch uh, TV, you get the newspaper. It's everywhere. It's, it's, uh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, we're going to die. And if it's not uh, the virus, it's the, it's the environment, it's the, 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 um, the global warming. If it's not the global warming, it's something else. There is always something. And then people become completely terrified. Uh, it's a chicken little all the time that the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And when you look in history and you look at uh, the stories, you see that uh, it has been falling all the time for centuries. Nothing has happened. Um, when you have the good attitude and the good uh, strategies, uh, you are going to do very well despite all disruptions. So it is very important to look into history to get perspective because otherwise we start to look uh, at the world with a very short-term uh, orientation and we, come, we, we become uh, afraid, uh, we panic, uh, we make stupid mistakes, and this is what you should avoid. And this is why it's so important to get the perspective that uh, these things have happened before very similar problems. Uh, people have solved these problems already. Uh, you don't need to panic. You just need uh, to, uh, to copy the same strategies that uh, people have been using uh, for centuries. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I do think everything kind of gets doomsday and a little intense. And, and you see, it seems to be, you know, very overreactive. Like you said, it's almost like we, we need some chicken little story happening all the time time to feel better or something you say you say knowledge is the only valid response to stress why is that uh, because um, you cannot just uh, uh, manipulate yourself into uh, happiness uh, strength uh, all these virtues because uh, I mean if it was so easy uh, you just read some uh, I don't know one page say okay you should be uh, this and this and this, and you just do it and it's fine. And then you're done. You're just perfect. You have a perfect personality. You're, you're extroverted. You're, uh, it doesn't work. I mean, it's very difficult uh, to change uh, human personality. Uh, once people are in their 20s, early 20s, basically their personality is already frozen. And it's very difficult to, dis to, to develop uh, new habits, to develop the new patterns of thinking. This is why... Um, I say that it's so important to, uh, to look into history and to look at uh, the Middle Ages, to look at uh, the 19th century, to look at the 18th century, to look at different stories and to see how people uh, in circumstances that were uh, much difficult than the circumstances we have today, uh, they have been able to improve your lives because then you get an idea that it is possible to improve. 
But what about people that were living through like cholera and influenza in the early 1900s, things like that? Yeah, and you have um, uh, you have periods in, in history in Europe uh, where uh, you have uh, millions of people dying, and and that now today we know why. We know about uh, the poor hygiene. Uh, we know about all the stupid uh, therapies they had that were completely useless. But still, even in the worst uh, possible uh, times in history, you have people who did very well, who realized that uh, there was a focus on infection, so they simply they moved to another city. And they did very well. And they discovered new therapies. And for instance, uh, in, during these uh, periods of, um, of uh, pestilence in Europe, uh, there were people who were using uh, uh, garlic uh, for disinfection and they survived and they did very well. So you can always learn from, the, from these stories and you can learn uh, new therapies, new strategies, but you have to look into history because otherwise uh, you will be constantly um, uh, terrified uh, by the latest events uh, in your career, in your health, in your environment, and you will not be able to uh, to really to uh, move forward. So you talk a little bit about in the book the uh, cathedral builders in the Middle Ages. What what can we learn from them? Obviously, those were some impressive feats. Yeah, the the story is fascinating because um, uh, nowadays, I mean, when you look at, at the building. Uh, okay, you know how they put them together, and the, you know the structure, the the, the foundations, are, and it's very uh, much under control. But uh, if when you want to to deal, to learn to deal with uh, with chaos, with uh, disruptions, with uh, difficult situations, you have to look at uh, people doing something impossible. And this is the case of uh, cathedrals in the Middle Ages. I mean, you have to if you go to Europe. Uh, and you look at these uh, very high buildings, uh, uh, they were from the uh, 12th or 13th centuries, and they're still standing, and they are beautiful, and they are very solid, and they are, they are fantastic. Um, you have to realize that they were built with very, very low technology, uh, with a very tight uh, budget. Uh, they were built by people who could barely read. Most of them could not read. Uh, a few could, but most of them could not read. They spoke different languages, so they could not uh, communicate easily. Um, they could not work during the winter because it was extremely cold in Europe in the Middle Ages, so they could only work outside, uh, outdoors. They could only work from May until September. I mean, I can go on. I don't, I mean, the, 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 the level of difficulties was huge. There were no roads. It was extremely difficult to transport anything. I mean, it was very, very difficult. And still, they built the cathedrals within a very short period of time. I mean, they, some cathedrals were built uh, in 50 years with only 200 people. I mean, with a very, very limited uh, manpower. And I found the story uh, very interesting to see how they did it, because the strategies are something you can use today. Uh, you have a company, you have a business. It's exactly the same strategies, because uh, these people in the in the Middle Ages – uh, they were dealing with uncertainty, they were dealing with risk, uh, they were dealing with all kind of disruptions, uh, with sickness, uh, extreme temperatures, and still they did it. And uh, what I've done in this chapter of the book is to go through the strategies they use. Actually, they were all developed by uh, one person, and his name was uh, Suger. Uh, he was a monk uh, living at the beginning of the 12th century. And basically what Suger did is to make a list of all the problems that uh, he was going to face uh, when he was going to restore uh, a church in uh, Saint-Denis, close to Paris, to find uh, solutions, to try to find a way to solve all the problems because 
the technology that he was using and the resources, they were known. But nobody had taken the trouble uh, to try to develop uh, defensive uh, strategies to make uh, the whole thing work together. And after Sujet found uh, the solution, uh, how to deal with all these problems uh, very easily, uh, the rest of Europe basically copy-pasted and they, they imitated uh, the first cathedral that was built in Saint-Denis. And basically, they're all the same. They copy the patterns, they copy the, um, the design, uh, the building technology, they copied everything. But Suzy actually found a way uh, how to do it. Let me just give you an example. For instance, one of the problems when you're running a business and when you're doing something complex, or for instance, when you're changing careers and you say, I don't want to be a, a nurse anymore. I want to be, a, I don't know, a lawyer. And then you want to change. And it's very difficult to do. Uh, when you're doing these things that have immense uh, complexity because they involve uh, uncertainty, they involve risk, they involve uh, resources, Suzy realized that uh, it is impossible to have perfect planning uh, because uh, you cannot really find a straight line because there are so many obstacles. When he started to build the cathedral, he didn't have all the answers. But what is important is that he developed uh, a system uh, that was very resilient to allow him to, um, to uh, uh, make progress every day. For instance, uh, one of the problems he was facing from the very beginning is that uh, he could not work through the year. Uh, during the winter, it's so cold that people couldn't wake outdoors. And they, what they did in the Middle Ages, and this is uh, something that uh, today seems completely stupid, but they were doing this for centuries, uh, they hire people in, um, in May, uh, April, May, to work until September, and then they fired everybody uh, during the winter, and then the people were hired again in the, in the spring. And this was completely stupid, of course, because you lose all the expertise. Uh, Suji, uh, what he did, the, ber- the first thing he did uh, to build the cathedral is not to build the cathedral. Uh, he created, uh, he built houses for the workers so that uh, they could work through the year and they could work in the winter uh, indoors, uh, cutting stones, and then they could work uh, in the spring and summer outdoors, uh, putting the, the stones uh, on the wall. And there is a very important lesson for that because if you are trying, for instance, to change your careers, uh, to improve your health, to do something that is very challenging because you have a lot of obstacles, you should use the same strategy. Um, you should try to, to uh, develop uh, a, a system of work like Sujet did in the 12th century of building cathedrals where you can make some progress every day. Even if it's not a huge progress, uh, you can still work on something. Uh, when you're running a business, for instance, uh, some days uh, you have a meeting with a potential customer and then the meeting is canceled, and uh, you should immediately go and do something else. Like Sujet, uh, people were doing the meeting in Middle Ages, if they couldn't work outdoors, they work indoors. But every minute was used productively. And this is something that is super important. If you are trying to improve your health, uh, don't focus everything on eating some particular diet. You should have a good diet. You should do exercise. You should sleep well. You have to try everything so that every day you can make some progress. And eventually, after a few months, you will recover. And this is why it's so important uh, to have this kind of a smooth strategy. I go into great detail of the strategies of Sujet in this chapter of the book, but the lessons are universal because you can apply them to running a business, uh, to recovering your health, uh, to making uh, additional friends. Uh, these kind of strategies are very powerful because um, once they were discovered uh, now a thousand years ago, Uh, They are still being used and they are very, very effective.
So, so one last question before we have to go. Do you think that positive thinking can help us deal with all of these different things that humans are going to overcome and, and all of the, um, the great advancements that we're going to make? Uh, it can help you if you use it correctly. Uh, the way that uh, today is, is presented, which is basically people using mantras and say, oh, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, and you see it uh, constantly on the media, uh, is very, very um, uh, detrimental because uh, people become very, very unrealistic. Uh, they become very much uh, delusional. Uh, this is not the way it works. Um, if you look at the history of positive thinking, uh, how it was invented, it was invented actually in the 19th century in Europe, it was invented in France by a pharmacist uh, whose name was uh, Emile Coué, and Coué was a scientist. Uh, he tried to invent, um, to create a new uh, marketing technique because he had a, a pharmacy in the north of France. Uh, he took a course uh, on hypnotism and suggestion, and he started to use uh, his techniques in the pharmacy to um, to try to make uh, his patients, his uh, customers, uh, recover quick, quickly. So he told them stories about uh, recovery, about uh, recovering their health, getting better. And he made the statistics, very detailed statistics about uh, the results. And he proved that positive thinking works very well. And he wrote uh, uh, several books about it. He made very detailed statistics for years. And he became a very successful uh, in his business. Uh, people went to this pharmacy uh, from kilometers around uh, because they they um, they heard about Kue uh, because his therapies were so successful. And the reason why it worked, and this is why positive thinking sometimes works, is that when you apply a suggestion and you apply uh, positivity. Uh, together with the, with the rational behavior, in the case of Kue, uh, he was actually uh, motivating people uh, to take their medications. He would prescribe to them, for instance, uh, a sage infusion or chamomile, whatever, and he motivated people to take the medication, uh, to change their lifestyle, uh, to become uh, healthier, and then it works. And then positive thinking can be very helpful because it helps you uh, do something positive. But if you take uh, positive thinking in isolation, uh, devoted of any connection to, uh, to a strategy, uh, is very detrimental because it creates uh, false expectations and the only result will be depression. Wow. That's some interesting food for thought. And, and, I, and I appreciate your perspective on it. And I like that you've got the historical component. Where can people get in touch with you to find out more about your books? It's very, very easy to find. If you just uh, type my name, uh, Jean Vespasian, on Google, uh, you will find everything in a second. There are books. There is, uh, there is a free newsletter. There is a, a, a blog with uh, thousands of uh, free articles. Very, very easy to find. Uh, just type uh, Jean Vespasian on Google, and you will find all the books in one second. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I can tell you've just got so much research and knowledge on this. And, of course, we'll include all of the show notes as well, and people can look for your book coming out next month. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Okay, many thanks, Amigada. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.